Okay, so uh, it's a couple things, right? So um, um, trying to really break this down in a layman's terms, this is really challenging. Um, now, what you're listening to there is the sound of people attempting to explain one of the most talked about technologies in recent years, blockchain. It's been described as something that could change the face of banking, shipping, retail, and, crucially as we're concerned today, energy. Well, that's a big claim. So how on earth will it do that? And before we even get to that question, what on earth is blockchain? I'm Kunal Dutta, and welcome to the Energy Podcast brought to you by Shell. Let's go back to those helpful people recorded at the Blockchain Live event in London. The biggest and brightest names in the technology were all there, so we challenged some of the delegates to give us their explanation of blockchain in just 60 seconds. Here's what we heard. It has many possibilities. Some of them we've become very familiar with, which has to do with cryptocurrency. But it is beyond that. It is really about creating a record of an event and being able to be assured that it is really what we believed it to be. So it's a new trust factor. Blockchain is a distributed ledger. Now, a distributed ledger is basically a ledger is something that records transactions one after the other in a chronological order. The data is replicated across multiple computers. Everyone's got the same copy of the data, and every time the data gets written, it gets written to all the different blocks so that even if one person goes down, there are about a thousand other people who say, well, this is still the truth because this is the truth that we have. Clearer? Maybe. Let's turn to our studio guests now and see if they can help. I'm joined here by Jojo Hubbard, the co-founder and CEO of Electron. Electron is a company that harnesses blockchain technology to design more efficient and flexible systems for the energy industry. Joe, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about what blockchain is. What blockchain is. I slightly differ week to week when I explain it, but I think in the context of this, it's a shared set of rules that enable multiple parties to co-own and cooperate sets of data. I guess in the context of energy, that means you can do business in quite different ways because instead of sharing all the data needed to coordinate this kind of vast energy system, you can share data structures. Our fundamental thesis is blockchain is the coordination mechanism that will enable multiple parties at, at all sorts of different levels in the grid to share that data set and make the most efficient use of energy assets. And uh, is, is a lot of this to do with the way that the energy system has evolved historically? Is blockchain a sort of correction of that? Or is, it, <laughs> uh, is that, again, far too simple? No, I think that's a very good route in. I think blockchain is a new way to do business that enables us to have the really, really important conversations about how we coordinate and share data sets about what has to be common and what can be competitive, how we're going to do all these new things that we say is going to make the energy industry cleaner and cheaper and more resilient. You know, it, it's no longer just up to one party at the top of the, the chain to know what's happening. It's a complex system. Let's cross over to New York, where we're joined by Scott Kessler, Director of Business Development at LO3 Energy. Uh, Scott, welcome. Can we put some of what Jojo's um, just talked about into some sort of practical context? What is it that you're doing at LO3? How are you putting blockchain to use? Sure. And I appreciate the uh, easier intro than trying to explain what is blockchain. Uh, so LO3 Energy is a young company headquartered out of Brooklyn, New York, and it was founded back in 2013 by Lawrence Orsini and Bill Collins. And Lawrence sort of comes out of the energy space like myself, and Bill has a history in finance and the environmental markets and renewable credit trading. 
And the two of them sort of got to talking and, you know, what does the future of the grid look like? And they realized that, well, it's really made up of many, many, many distributed assets that are owned by different people at the very edge of the grid. And we need a way to coordinate the activity of this. And so how is that actually going to occur? Because all these devices, you know, if it's a thermostat that's in my home, you know, and I own that and I get to control that, that's not something that is a utility-owned resource. So how do you take all these resources owned by different actors and coordinate their activity in some way that results in the supply of electricity and resulting services that we're all used to? So... Blockchain is, you know, not just a way of doing financial transactions, of doing digital currency, but also a way of really exchanging data about how these assets are participating on the electric grid. Back in April 2016, we did what we think is considered the world's first ever transactions of energy on a blockchain here in Brooklyn in the Brooklyn Microgrid Project. And we've since been, you know, trying to grow and explore and see, you know, what are the benefits that we can bring to the sector uh, using some of the technology and, you know, the value for producers and consumers we've been toying with. So how do I use blockchain on my street theoretically with a solar panel or two? So the first thing, you know, we have to be clear about is that the physics of this right now aren't changing in any way. So electricity is still getting transmitted through copper wires, through the ones that are either overhead or buried underground that we've all gotten accustomed to. And those are usually owned by a monopoly. And that's not changing. What we're really doing here is changing the accounting of where that electricity is produced and where it is consumed and allowing folks to do different transactions off of that. So if we're talking about an example where one rooftop solar producer, or lately as we've been calling them, prosumer, if that prosumer is producing more energy than their building consumes and they are injecting electricity onto the grid, we have a little smart meter that can track that and say, you know, we recognize that over the past one hour, you have produced, you know, two kilowatt hours of electricity in excess. Then on the other side of town, if we have someone who is a consumer, someone who is pulling electricity from the grid, there's also a little meter there that is measuring how much energy they are consuming. Let's say they happen to use two kilowatt hours over that same time period. We can take that data and put that into a marketplace and allow all of these prosumers and these consumers to actually transact with each other directly. So set up, you know, the most basic example is an auction where people want to bid on that local clean energy and allow them to say, you know, here's how much I'm willing to pay. And based on those bids and based on the supply, you can actually achieve a market for that local clean energy. An eBay for energy then, is it? Or like an Uber? Yeah. No, eBay is a good way to think about it. You know, it's really about facilitating a marketplace between, you know, suppliers and consumers. And, you know, for the electric grid, there's a lot of different types of suppliers and a lot of different types of consumers. And I'm sure we'll get into that. Okay, so that's all very well. But what does blockchain have to do with energy? At the moment, no one party has a view of what and where all of the assets and devices are in the grid. Let's say 10,000 electric vehicles can do the job of one bigger plant. There's all sorts of things you need to know if you're going to get 10,000 of those vehicles. First, you need to know they exist. Secondly, you need to know they're technically capable of doing the things they say they're going to do. You also need to know, you know, what contractual obligations they're tied to. Does the car driver own the battery or does some insurance leasing firm own the battery or is it a rental car? There's just so many different things you need to know. And, and, and there's not one party who currently knows all of them yet. So creating a shared digital infrastructure 
enables you know 10,000 assets to do the old work of one asset and because there's so much more competition and there's so much more potential and these assets aren't being run for money they're assets that kind of already exist that drives down the cost of electricity and it also massively ups the resilience because you're not at risk of one plant being hit or kind of one area going out anymore so that is the story here blockchain is simply we think a tool to achieve that coordination to incentivize all of those incomplete data sets around what and where we have to be completed. Scott, a shared digital infrastructure, where is it taking us? We are transitioning to a lot more renewables, which are intermittent. You know, they only produce power when the wind blows, the sun shines. We are seeing a increase in the number of distributed assets at the edge of the grid. And we're increasingly getting much greater visibility into what is happening at the building level at the edge of the grid. So what we are realizing is that all these distributed assets, they can begin to do things that only the big conventional power plants used to be able to do, generating energy, providing grid services, and providing the flexibility, the balancing required when you have the sun going behind a cloud, when you have a extremely windy or a not windy day. So here is where the data system comes in and allows us to actually achieve this degree of uniformity that is needed for the physical asset, the grid, that has constraints. And, you know, that's the thing that I think brings this all together, that you need a data system to allow all these disparate actors to come together in one functioning marketplace. Joining me here also in the studio is um, David Gerard. The title of his book, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, might give you a clue to his point of view. David, uh, thank you for joining us. It's fair to say you're a blockchain sceptic. So the thing is that um, blockchain is very much a buzzword. There is not actually a clear, technically agreed definition of blockchain at all. I could like come up with one which most people would agree with. Like It's a tamper-evident ledger where you have people deciding by some consensus mechanism what the next thing you add to the ledger is. But there's already stuff being sold as blockchain and trumpeted as blockchain and good news for the future of blockchain that doesn't even meet that definition. So the hype is something that we'll definitely get to. But the hype uh, element of it is literally what the actual product is in a lot of cases. That is, it's a way of selling what are effectively centrally administered programs, but people are seduced by it because it's a really cool sounding concept. But if it's just all buzz, then surely the people like Jojo and Scott and many others around the world are actually staking their livelihoods, building businesses around this. I mean, Shell certainly wouldn't be looking at something if they just believed it was all hype. The proof will be in the pudding. You have to watch out for the word could because blockchain could is another word for blockchain doesn't. That is... It doesn't at this stage. Maybe it will in future. But, you know, maybe all sorts of things could happen in the future. And while technology can be produce amazing things in the future, it's been 10 years now with not a lot to show. We may eventually get good and useful systems out of this. Now, you'll have things like if you have coordination of a system like Jojo or Scott are doing, that's a company running the system. You can say the platform it's running on top of is somewhat decentralized, but the application is controlled by the company, which is fine and normal, but then decentralized is a meaningless buzzword because it's controlled by a company. And you can say, but they're putting the data on the public chain, 
but they control the program that interprets the data. Jojo, what was your um, general thought as your, your career has sort of gone on in the last couple of years? Blockchain obviously had this a lot of coverage about two years ago, and now there's much more sort of caution around how we talk about it. In terms of where the market is now, the kind of hype bubble has burst, I would actually say that I don't think energy enterprise interest has dropped off in any way. Actually, we're getting far more incoming calls from parties being like, hey, I want to do something with blockchain. I think that blockchain, you know, when it kind of first came out and and you had so much hype about how it's going to solve gender politics and food crises and global warming and and all these things. It'll solve dentists. It'll solve dentists. Yeah, I mean, dentists need solving. They're terrifying. And everyone's like, oh, my God, it hasn't delivered on its promise. Like, we've really just started. And when you look at how long it takes to do anything, especially in an industry like the energy industry, we're kind of looking at critical national infrastructure. I mean, thank God we're still kind of trialling it and running it. I I remember when I was was leaving McKinsey and going, I need to go do it. They were like, this is very interesting, but, you know, we don't think it's going to happen for the next 10 years. I remember being like, well, it's definitely not going to happen unless someone's going to go and do it. So, you know, like despite that, I wouldn't be anywhere else. I, I actually don't think that the hype disappearing is doing us any disservices when we're working with these big organisations because we're getting much, much more sensible work requests now. And if you have substance, then that is your chance to show up without the hype. I, exactly. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I sort of look back as to where we were maybe two and a half, three years ago when I first joined LO3 and I sort of laugh because it was a lot of fun, you know, I will admit. You know, we got a lot of attention I got to travel to a lot of places, do some presentations. All you had to do was say blockchain and people wanted to come up and talk to you. But where we've, where we've landed is a much more mature place. It's a lot more calm. People are asking a lot harder questions, which is much more challenging. You know, you have folks like David who are being outspoken about this and pointing out some very true points about the industry. I would argue that the value that a company like LO3 brings and likely Electron 2 is not in the fact that, you know, we have had the word blockchain associated with it. The value is in the fact that we are trying to create new structures. You know, that's where the value is. And so blockchain is a tool to achieve those things. It doesn't mean that down the road, if another better technology came out, you know, we wouldn't be willing to adopt that. We just today see blockchain as the best tool to achieve our goals. Would you agree with that, JJ? Is there a sort of element of we'll see how this blockchain, you know, blockchain is one answer at the moment, the best answer to what you're trying to do, but not necessarily the only one? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, like, you know, we're all trying to solve real problems that are really quite important and dictate, you know, what price electricity will be in the future, how much clean energy will be in the future and how resilient our grids are. You know, (laughs) it's sort of our duty to pick the best tech. Let's find out how blockchain might impact a company like Shell, moving back to the energy system. Earlier on, I spoke to Judith Durkin, an editor at Shell's digital magazine Inside Energy, and she explained what Shell is doing in this space. I think there's been a lot of talk about how blockchain can make processes safer, cheaper, quicker, more reliable. And in 2017, Shell set up a blockchain department that was really aimed to explore what the technology could do for the company. Trading's a big area of focus. Early last year, the Shell trading team, which manages all of Shell's trading activities in every major energy market around the world, invested in a startup based in London called Applied Blockchain. And together, the two organisations built an internal trading platform that's based on blockchain technology. And 
the aim of it was to allow each of the shell businesses to see real-time trading prices of various oil products all on one accessible platform. And this ensures that trades can actually happen much more quickly, more efficiently, more securely than before. And using this platform, in 2018, the trading team actually went on to execute what's believed to be the world's first oil products derivative trade using blockchain technology. And Judith, what about this question, whether blockchain is more hype or hope? I think blockchain technology, while very exciting, is still very new. We don't know what it can do. And so a large part of Shell's focus within all of this has been on really working with different companies to explore if there is potential in the technology. So it's starting bit by bit, but it will be interesting to see which of these projects, if any, actually go on to change the digital future of the energy industry. Judith, thank you. Bringing it all up a bit, how, how safe is this technology? You often hear about uh, this security being hailed as the asset. How safe and secure is it? So it's less secure than the completely non-digital equivalent where you, you, know, you have to break into six different locked filing cabinets to get this information. You'll never put the blueprints back together. But someone the other day described the security system we're building as, as, as like a avocado instead of a coconut. So coconut, you had this kind of like hard outer shell, but once you're through it, you're through. Whereas here you can have all various things that other people can have access and see, but there's this kind of completely secure core in the middle of it that you can't move through. It's a two-part question, like secure against what particular yeah. threat model. Is your threat data corruption? Then yeah, the tamper-evident ledger is obviously the right thing. Mm. Is it secure against GDPR requests? Unfortunately, yes, and you're going to have a heck of a time on redactions if you let consumers into your system. Scott, on the security question? I would say, you know, what are we comparing it to? You know, today we obviously have an electric grid that was sort of built as this giant, you know, more or less analog system and is moving towards a digital future. And what we've seen is that there have been, you know, some large-scale hacks already into electric utilities that have impacted their data. So, you know, I... And I'm not going to come out here and say blockchain is 100% safe and secure. But when you look at it compared to the status quo and where we feel business as usual is leading us, you know, we have confidence that the systems we're developing are more secure than that. And obviously, we want to continually be better and we want to continually get more and more secure. But, you know, in my mind, I always like to compare it to where are we today as opposed to some uh, straw man of 100% safe and secure, because I don't think anyone would ever come out here and say, we've achieved 100% safety and security for anything. Yeah, and if they did, they wouldn't understand cybersecurity. So looking ahead 20, 30 years from now, what impact do we think this could potentially have had? <laughs> That's a good time frame. Don't overpromise here. <laughs> we can change quite a lot of things. Oh, 20 yeah. to 30 years, Scott, how accountable are we going to be for this? Huh? <laughs> 20 to 30 years time, we probably won't be talking about like the energy sector as this like separate amorphous beast, you know, it might be all sorts of tech companies who are service providers and, and, you know, like, look at what happened to the telecoms industry, you know, you've got a couple of the guys who have the pipes and wires, and then you can have all sorts of packages and stuff on top of it. And you're, you're going to be buying sets of services, or you're going to be buying ways of being treated or, or, or looked after by particular consumer engagement companies. And we're focused on the digital infrastructure side to actually make that possible. Thank you to all my guests. Jojo Hubbard, the co-founder and CEO of Electron. Scott Kessler, the director of business development at LO3 Energy. And David Gerrard, the author of The Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain. 
The Energy Podcast was produced by Fresh Air Production, and I must remind you that the views you've heard today are those of the people featured and not the Shell Group or its affiliates. Next up on the Energy Podcast, we'll be talking to Shell's Integrated Gas and New Energies Director, Martin Wetzler. Join us as he tackles questions on climate change, the Paris Agreement and the future of energy. I'm Kunal Dutta. Thank you for listening and goodbye for now.